Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today. And I want to give a very warm welcome to Jared LePiccolo. Jared is the founder and CEO of Noble, a creative digital performance marketing agency he launched with his wife two decades ago, which has since blossomed into an international enterprise. His global perspective, stemming from managing offices in Reno and Bristol, UK, has fostered connections worldwide. Jared's unique approach to digital marketing is influenced by his architectural background, allowing Noble to craft virtual experiences that mirror the best of the real world. His clientele includes prestigious travel brands like Visit Lake Tahoe, Santa Monica, the islands of Tahiti, and digital and tech brands like Autodesk, Niantic, Adobe, Disney, and Google. Jared has served in various capacities on numerous boards and is a sought-after speaker at esteemed venues like Destination International's annual convention, Social Media Week Bristol, and eTourism. His career achievements include being named SBA Small Business Persons of the Year and receiving the In Business Las Vegas Entrepreneur Award, among others. Today, Jared and I are going to be chatting about the strength and value of building the right website for your brand. We'll learn what works from Jared's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses miss the mark. Jared, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thank you, Stacey. I want to meet this guy, Jared. He sounds amazing. You know, it's always flattering when you get your bio read, you know, so thank you. I heard he's a pretty amazing guy. I did a too. Team member of yours, yes. So, <laughs> and my wife, my wife seems to think that too. So that's good, you know. Isn't well. that awesome? Isn't it lovely having like spouses who support and do all of the hoopla and make our days? It's nice. Oh, it's great. What I'd love to do is start off chatting about how did you get here today? I just said that you know sure. you've been in this business for over two decades. You started out as a solopreneur. You launched this into not just a successful business here in the United States, but also one in Bristol, United Kingdom. So what happened? Yeah. And, and actually just one slight correction um, is that actually my wife and I, we both started uh, the business together. And so, um, and, and how we started, we actually met at our very last year of uh, university. And at the time I was, I was working towards being one of the youngest architects uh, in the United States, I think if I were to have continued down that path and, and received my um, my architectural license, I would have been like, you know, uh, the youngest in 39. And I think that that it, that just goes to show like I was this really young kind of, you know, tons of energy, tons of passion, like, you know, nothing's impossible kind of mindset. And when I met Season, um, you know, she was very much of the same mindset, right? She was working in copywriting uh, while going to school in Las Vegas with me. Uh, she was working at R&R Partners, and R&R Partners is a large PR agency that when she was working on the campaign of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And um, and so we both were just this really creative, you know, punchy, fun, passionate individuals. And we got teamed up on a project that uh, in this in this technical writing class, and it was really about how to how do you market or how do you how do you show the value of a company? And we decided to use website as a medium to do that. And we thought, well, this is great. You know, I, I, you know, this idea of like, instead of building physical architecture, we're building virtual architecture. And for season, instead of building sort of taglines and slogans and campaigns, you, you know, she's writing really thoughtful content, you know, describing companies and all there is about those companies. And so, so we started the, you know, we started Noble with this, um, this idea that, you know, we're two young kids coming out of college uh, you know, the world's our oyster. It's, you know, it's back in the early 2000s uh, websites. We had to convince people that websites are not going away and the internet is here to stay. Um, 
but we wanted to really, you know, when we saw the, we, you know, we're both world travelers and I used to live in Italy. She used to live in Chile and we both felt like, you know, one of the reasons why we have so much pain in the world is that there's just not enough communication and there's not enough connective tissue and meaningful connections within humans. And we thought, well, you know, aspirationally, we're young. What if we help build the internet that helps tie and connect people together? And so that kind of really helped us, you know, gave us a vision and a mission for the company of saying, let's let's be a, uh, a conscious capitalistic company where, you know, we're here for profits. We're here to, you know, uh, to grow and to be a successful company with growth mindset. But how do we do this where everyone wins? And, and that's one of the reasons why we created the name Noble was we thought, well, we need something, a name that will help guide us, you know, through all experiences. So if we if we fall off our trail, we ask ourselves, what's the noble thing to do? And we get back on. And that's just been really kind of the core principle is let's bring humans together. Let's build meaningful connections. Uh, and let's do that through through the, the means of digital marketing. That's awesome. And so you and your wife have literally created a business that enables you to travel a little bit more yes. as well, which is fantastic. I know this because I have also created a business where it allows me to pop all over the world. It, it's great. I mean, it, you know, it's it, so we started out and we started working with like some of the bigger brands out of the Bay Area, um, the Googles you mentioned right in, in some in the bio and 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 it was just almost like a big logo land grab. Like, let's just grab all the logos we can. You know, it shows that we're we're we've created this really successful business. And and so there was a huge value placed on that, as opposed to working with the right clients, right? And then what we found was as we started to work in the travel and tourism space, these clients really um they valued selling experiences and then and the and the and the impact of those experiences that you create long life memories and relationships and bonds that that you know define us as humans and so we thought this is a really good industry or vertical to be in we loved the idea of working in the travel and tourism space one of course they're good people and two you're you're selling not widgets that are going to maybe end up in landfills or you know you know those kinds of things but you're actually selling experiences and and your marketing destinations uh, and their assets that they have in these destinations but of course we get to visit those. And so what's great is whenever we pick up a client, like we landed the islands of Tahiti, you know, we go there and we visit, we scuba dive and we, we sample their product, if you will. And, and then that gives us a true authentic experience with that. So when we, when we storytell about it, or we write content or we build infrastructure or marketing campaigns, it's really coming from a place of, of like knowledge and authority and experience than it is if we didn't, you know, have those experiences. And that allowed us then of course, to, to expand into the UK. We had a lot of clients that were international and we thought, gosh, it's really hard to service some of these clients in Europe or, you know, in, in EMEA or, or APAC, you know, with a, with a Pacific standard, you know, West coast timeframe. And so we opened an office in the Bristol UK, which is really right at that center point of the time. So now we're servicing at least 16 hours of the day, you know, covering, you know, a big portion of the globe. Um, and then of course we get to travel. We get to travel a lot to see our office, meet culture, um, new team members, new clients, speaking engagements, um, form new partnerships. And so, yeah, we've really built into the fabric of our, of our company, this idea of, of, you know, travel and, and experiencing new cultures and new people. And it seems travel and tech are some of your two go-tos, like all things digital and all yes. things travel. They're very different in a lot of yes. ways, but it makes sense what you're saying. And what is your favorite island in Tahiti? Well, it's interesting that, you know, I would say 
I would say Morea is probably my favorite. It's a it's a it's a mix between romantic and family. Whereas if you do like Bora Bora, it's a very romantic, right? Your your kids are going to get bored there. Uh, and but if you just such do the, great scuba diving, oh with no, the manta rays there. Trust me, oh no, and I love it. I love Bora. And there's others. There's a uh, uh, Fakabara is another. Mm -hmm. Yes, love that. They have the the shark shelf that they have there. So. Um, but in terms of accessibility and, you know, price point and just full activities, I would say, yeah, Morea is uh, probably our family's uh, favorite pick. We were just there in February this year and uh, rented instead of doing the over the water bungalows, which we've done a few times, we rented an actual just VRBO. Uh, well, it's a guest house, but it was a, it, through a guest house services and right on the water. We had stand up paddle boards and, and of course, our clients there. So we got to meet with them, have lunches and dinners. And then and then uh, and then have a good time on uh, you know enjoying ourselves. That's awesome. I had to ask. Tahiti is one of my favorite countries. Oh, yeah. It's it is something that you know you don't think about how large it is, but it spans 118 islands, and it's uh, it's almost the size of Russia in terms of the the you know the islands chain itself. But you don't think of it. You think of it almost like Hawaii, where it's just this literally isolated uh, area. But sometimes it takes three or four hours of flight time just to get to one of the islands. You know, yeah. so. Uh, but yeah, we love it. It's 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 still preserved, right? It didn't. Not, I have family in Hawaii, so I can say this, but it's not a fake luau, you know, where they're pulling, you know, sort of, you know, uh, you know, pulled pork out of the kitchen. They're, they're actually burying, you know, burying the pigs. They have the traditions and they're maintaining those. And I think that 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 authenticity is also stuff what we seek when we when we look and when we like like to travel and to tell these stories for for others, you know. I 100% agree with that. And so when you're working with these different brands, and, and so you have your tourism, you have your kind of tech. Yes. Is it the same approach? Or is it different when you're looking at architecting a whole website design? It's a great uh, a question. And, and you know, I would say 10 years ago, we would we would see these people as different people. And, and nowadays we don't, right? The same people that are working for a B2B, you know, fintech company is, are, they're also on Facebook, right? And they're also on Instagram. Maybe they're not all the way yet on TikTok, but they're in these social platforms. And I think we would always say, well, no, 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 the, the B2B people only exist on LinkedIn, you know, and the, and the B2C people, which is maybe travel and tourism, they only exist on, on Instagram and, you know, and Yelps and, and all these others. But we're, the reality is, is that these are the same people. Now, the difference between the two is really about the buyer's committee, right? When you're in a B2B company, you have a big buyer's committee. There's usually six or seven people that you have to address all of their different problems with solutions and you match those up and, you know, and, and you've got to hit them at different points there. They have a longer lead time in terms of like closing that piece of business. Um, so the website's going to act very differently for, you know, a B2B company. They're going to need case studies. They're going to need proof points. They're going to need, you know, reviews and and certifications and all these others. And then you think of the B2C, you've got a smaller buyer committee. You've got a one or two person in a household that's usually buying a vacation or buying an experience. Um, yes, they want some case studies, but they're more looking for activities and they want videos, you know, showing the sort of the experience that people have had. So you just, but there are the same people, right? The same woman that works at a B2B company during the day, she's going to come home and she's going to surf the web and she's going to look for, you know, that travel experience that she wants to take her family on. And so you have to appeal to both. You have to treat them as the same person, but with different lenses, depending on, on you know, do they have their work clothes on for today or do they have their, their beach shorts on uh, in the evening or on the weekend? And so when you're doing this, since everyone is still just human and is a purchaser yes. and buyer, what are some of the common things that all of these humans don't like in websites? 
Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, one of the things we try to break down is that, um, so we like to think about this idea of personally relevant experiences, right? And getting, basically getting as close as possible to that persona. And so it's hard, people feel generalized, um, you know, and so you think, oh, well, we have, maybe there's like uh, four different activities. And so that, therefore, there's only four different types of people. But in reality, you know, there's, you know, there's hundreds of different types of people. And in fact, to get to like, uh, if you're going to do a survey uh, to get to what we call like statistical significance of 95% or greater, you need to survey 384 people. So that means, you know, you need that much of a sample side. There's that many different people and needs and where they're at in the buyer's journey. And so what's, I think, really important and where people get frustrated is when they land on a website and they feel like they're, you know, that they're lost, right? They don't, they're not, they're not, they're, maybe you don't have the, the same top entry points for each one and they can't drill in fast enough to maybe find that, that shark wall scuba diving trip, you know? Um, and so I think there's this need for like either self-identification or self-selection that a lot of these websites are missing um, in that personalized experience. And so I think there's the evolution that we're going to start to see with websites is more personalization, you know, um, more first party data. So you're providing these sites with things of what are your interests? You know, have you been to, for instance, Tahiti before? Um, have you purchased this kind of product before? And so we learn a little bit more about the, the person that's visiting this website. And then we can curate and customize a very, you know, frictionless experience for them to get to to as effectively as fast as possible to what they're looking for. Um, and then of course, to those that don't know, and they're just in this sort of exploration phase, you want to give them the ability to explore and, and, you know, learn and educate and, and maybe find interests that maybe they never knew about or, or whatnot. But I think that's probably the biggest issue that I see is, is these websites, they, they create a lot of friction right off the bat. Um, they're not, they're not built well with understanding the different personas or the buyer's journeys and, and therefore you just get landed with just so much information and you put all the effort on, on the person to have to find it. And that's when you'll typically see like high bounce rates, you know, people ejecting quickly, um, you know, those things, even if, even if the site had the information, but it just wasn't organized uh, appropriately. Okay. And so what else do people do wrong? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when I think about one of the, the, if you call it like a systemic issue, is that, you know, if you think about websites, they're a very hardened, curated, cured uh, marketing infrastructure asset, right? Whereas if you think about emerging, you know, marketing channels, I mentioned TikTok, you know, that's one of the more emerging ones that's stabilized enough for brands to invest into. But it's it's also a little wild west still in that. Whereas like you, you know, so so what's happened is you've you've got a lot of um, infrastructure, you've got a lot of process that to build a website. And I think clients without, if they haven't gone through a website rebuild process before, I don't think they value the amount of effort that, that needs to go into it. Right? So and, much effort. Ours is oh, on pause right now because yeah. I got overwhelmed. It is so much work depending on who you're working with. And if you're oh. coming in ready and you know what your copy is and yes. you know what your images are and, and, and it's, it's a full-time yes. job. Well, and, and if you think about for us, we have to sell this to a client the last thing we want to do is say, by the way, you know, for the next nine months, you're going to dedicate you and the three or four of your team members 100% to this initiative. You're going to pull your hair out. 
you're going to be happy when it's done, but you're not going to want to recommend anyone to go through this process because it's just such a hard, heavy lift and, mm -hmm. and the requirements of a website. And there, it's still literally one of the number one marketing assets you can possibly invest into. And I don't believe it's going away anytime soon, even with AI content creation, what Google is going to do with the SERP, you know, all those things, you still need a website that showcases all of your capabilities, sells your product, sells your experiences, has proof points, you know, has landing pages that are customized to receive inbound paid media. Um, you know, so you just got all this complexity. Now we have security, not that we haven't had security, but we have GDPR compliance, we have ADA compliancy. We have uh, California Consumer Privacy Act. So you've got all of these different security and compliancy, uh, you know, uh, initiatives that are in place, which are good for a good reason. Right. But you have to have that. You've got, you know, content marketers, you've got UX, UI designers, you've got programmers. You just have this entire fleet of people in orchestration to make this thing happen. And there's so many differences. Like if people are like, oh, you know, we did our website, right. you know, a decade ago or longer even. Yes. It's not the same game now at all, no. is it? No. In fact, I mean, you know, when you look at some of the algorithm changes that Google's launching, one of the most recent ones is they call it EAT. And it's it's E-E-A-T uh, e and it stands for experience. So are you're providing a great experience. Do, are you an expert in this field? Like, do you, do you have... You know, are, are you known as an, are you viewed as an expertise? Do you have authority? Um, you know, is there trustworthiness? So you've got, you've got all these different changes that are happening. That wasn't on us 10 years ago. And mobile now is right, right. The, the higher consuming uh, device that's out there. So you got to make sure that everything, you know, loads very quickly. Um, you have optimized imagery, you have optimized servers, you have what's called CDNs, content delivery networks that are, you know, sending content at the same time your, your servers are responding. I mean, there's just so much complexity. And I think the big challenge that I find is that, say, 10 years ago, we built a website for 250000 Well, every year we're investing another 7500000 for optimization updates, you know, security patches, new feature enhancements. So you do this for 10 years and you're over a million dollar investment. But the client still wants to only pay 250 or 350 But you're like, wait a second, there's so much more complexity than there ever was. And while there's automation, there's not as much automation as one would expect to have uh, in the space. And so that's the, there's a squeeze that's happening right now around clients and what they want to invest into and the effort that it takes to build. Uh, and, and you're seeing in other industries that, that, are, that are okay with it, like home building is very expensive nowadays. It hasn't gotten cheaper, even though we're getting better at it and materials are getting lighter and simpler and they're, you know, we have all those things. So it's an interesting moment in time. And what will likely happen is more automation is going to come because clients will ultimately decide if they're going to willing to pay that market value or not. And if they're not going to, then, then you'll naturally see more automation start to come our way, which, which is exciting. I love that stuff, you know? On the websites that you're building now, you know, with the whole world of AI, there's so much yeah. you can do now. You can literally have your entire content library if you're a good yes. person have created content and have it there and have any question under the sun answered. You yes. can have chatbots that are now super advanced chatbots. What are you seeing as far as cool things? Yes. And do and do hickeys that yes. you could add on. Well, you know, the whole sort of generative AI movement that we've all been experiencing for the last year is, it, to me, in my opinion, is quite exciting because it's allowed us to give um, more creativity to more people, right? And some would say that it actually is removing creativity, but in reality, we spend a lot of time creating things using tools. 
And we have this vision or this expression that we want, but we sometimes get caught in the tools themselves. And so these generative AI tools are allowing to like, you know, take the time that we would normally take to generate an image or say, for instance, an outline or, you know, um, you know, 20 different, you know, taglines and things like that. It allows us to shorten that time frame. Uh, which then gives more time to be more strategic and more time to be more creative and to and to brainstorm more and to, to bounce more ideas off of other people and to put things in front of them much quicker. And so I'm excited about that. And when you think about imagery, a lot of us have blogs, you know, on our websites and we're talking about thought leadership or we're talking about our products in some way or another. But you always have to usually have like, you know, a, a hero image into that blog. And maybe there's a few island images that go throughout. So it kind of breaks up the monotony of text and such. You can easily use Midjourney or Dolly or some of these other generative tools and give it your style that you want. So now you can own your own specific style and be generating images in 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 seconds versus hours or sometimes days if you were to go into Illustration and do things in Adobe Illustrator and things like that. So I love that we've taken the 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 time factor and we've shortened it down and we've increased the level of creativity that that each one of us has really inside of us and we've we've always said that like you don't have to be considered a creative to be creative like everyone has an ability to be creative and i think these tools are just unlocking uh the potential in all of us well, i think it's interesting because you know we know content marketing works we know that yes. you know for an inbound the whole reason to have a website is for inbound it's, yes. it's the yes it's the monster of all inbound and everything yes. else stems <laughs> off of that basically yes that's right and so knowing that you have a good platform and knowing that you can actually now anyone can create content with these yes. tools, like it doesn't take long no. and there's still an opportunity. Like we started writing our blogs back in 2012. We have over close to 2000 blogs at this point. Nice. You know, it's impressive. Right? So it's a yeah. lot of content. Yeah. And it enabled us to get first page listing and to keep it still to this day where we don't have to pay for Google AdWords and we yep. don't have to do a lot because we're just organically there. And there's other agencies who probably started that long ago or other brands and they're in a good position. But for those brands that are now are like, I don't even know where to start. There are such awesome tools that yes. are going to be able to like be put into place where anyone can create that inbound. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think at the end of the day, you still need to have like, what value are you providing? Right. And I think that that's because you can create content so quickly. Um, but and that's content. It's that's it. Good. That's right. Yeah. And and we were, I was at this agency summit in um, Edinburgh, Scotland about six weeks ago. And one of the um, agency founders was saying, yeah, I was experimenting and we generated over 200,000 pieces of content and we and we saw the you know we launched it and we saw a 700% increase in day 1 and it went to like 25,000% in increase you know over the next couple of weeks and my first question was well what did your conversions look like and the conversions stayed the exact same and so what that really meant was you just put in a bunch of shit out in the internet that nobody really wants to read but google is catching up so it's needing to index it but eventually that won't work because what will happen is Google will see that nobody's engaging with that content and then it'll deprioritize it. So I think you always have to, with these tools and the fact that you can accelerate the amount of creativity that you can bring to the table and the content you can produce and the output, I think you still need to have a, a position of strength. Like what is it you're talking about? If you're a chef, maybe you want to talk about these very specific areas that you are an authority on, but don't, don't cover every single thing in the world about food because now you're a generalist and you're not going to rank, and you're not going to have 
any sort of authority at that moment. And so I think there's that element of, you know, still finding a unique angle, a still way to storytell, but then, and you do that first, right? So it's almost like, you, it's like a business, you need a vision and a mission, and then all the other activities come from it. So if you're going to write content, you're going to put content out there, have a position that you want to own and defend, and then use these tools to help accelerate, you know, your position, you know, around, around that. Absolutely. And so with all of that content that's going to be created, a lot of yes. being garbage. Yes. How can people better position their website to be a destination versus a trap of crap? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it, 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 I'm laughing now because <laughs> hopefully no one's offended out there. Um, but I, I think that, you know, 20 years ago, you could sort of like, you could you could be a generalist almost in a way, you know, you can, and and I think more than ever today, I think we need to think about being an inch wide and a mile deep versus a mile wide and in an inch deep. And, and because there is so many humans, right. We're at almost 8 billion, or I think we're at 8 billion um, now, you know, and the fact that we have all these tools and so many people now are in marketing and they're creating content and they're putting, you know, they're creating experiences out there. I think you need to still be an authority on, on, on something. So if you're going to have a website, don't try to be everything to everyone. You don't need to. Right. And I think there's, it's a survival tactic to do that. Right. It's like, of course we sell that. Of course we do that. I think those days are, are going away. I think the, the idea of more specialty, um, you know, and uh, focused and expertise is, is what, we're going to start to see, I think we're going to start to see it in everything Our doctors, instead of just general practitioners, you're going to have a lot more specialists. Um, and I think that that we have to take that same approach is like, we can't be everything to everyone. Instead, let's be a concentrated, valuable resource for a select audience or a select type of audiences, as opposed to the, the everything to everyone model. And then, so with that, everyone for everyone not being everyone for everyone model, yes. everything to everyone model. I'll get this eventually, right? So I think a lot of, you know, brands and agencies, because it's really, it applies to both in this case, yes. and, and even more so in many cases to agencies, because they have a tendency to be like, we do websites, we do digital marketing, we do social media, we do influencer marketing, we do PR, we do everything that you could possibly ever need under the sun, yes. and there's only five of us. Um <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the brand as well. Uh, so with that positioning, you know, is there a framework on a website that is kind of like your go-to when you are working on it, where, you know, you're establishing your value proposition, you're establishing, you know, is, is it different now? You know, is there, some, is there, and I know an e-commerce brand is going to be very different than an agency brand or a travel brand or a tech brand. But is there a status quo right now or an, a generality of how when you're designing, those designs end up looking right now? You know, are they long pages? Are they deep pages that go wide? Are they super comprehensive? Yeah, that's, I think what, what it comes down to, it truly is, it comes down to knowing the, the, the product or service or experience that you're selling and really aligning those to those target audiences. And, 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 and yes, while there, you could sell something to everyone, um, 
I would say the general rule of thumb is to really try to capture what you would consider to be 70, 75% of those target audiences. Because what happens is you start to break down and you start getting these micro audiences, but then the effort, you, you start to hit this diminishing return on investment. You start to build all this content for only 1%. Now, mind you, if it's if you're Amazon, that 1% represents millions and millions of dollars. But for professional services businesses and, you know, or even some small B2Bs or small destinations and things like that, you know, you it's it, I would say focus on that that 70, 75 percent um, and and then really build and cater towards us. Sometimes like if you're if it's very much like a first time purchase you know, you're going to need a lot more education. Uh, you're going to need articles. You're going to need what they call what we call topic clustering. So you're going to have one main topic and you're going to have all these different topics that build authority around that um, because it's really they're in this education the process. But if they're in the I'm ready to buy process, then, you know, you don't need these long form pages and all these subsidiary articles and, and content. You're, you know, you need to get right to proof points, you need to get right to, you know, five-star reviews and, you know, testimonials and, you know, um, you know, you're, you're checking all the different boxes so that that purchase is as frictionless as possible. Um, so that would be my recommendation is like really start with who's your target audience, what, how are they grouped? Maybe there's 10, maybe there's five, but make sure you're representing at least 75% of your, your buyers and then build for them. And then once you've built for them, then I think you can start to look at, you know, okay, let's look at the next 75 to 85% because maybe there's some smaller groups, but big enough for us to invest into marketing for them. Uh, then you start putting, but if you, you try to capture everyone and all, you'll, you'll lose that concentrated 75%. It'll start to dilute uh, and then, and then those efforts start to go sort of out the, out, out the door. Um, but it's funny, I, you know, it reminded me when you were asking the question, we, when we started our office in the UK, you can really start an office anywhere and you have like three things to choose from. You have geography, you have service and you have vertical. And, and, and I would say you should try to pick one when you're starting a company or you're starting, you know, it's really like, Think of a geography maybe you want to hit with a single line service or with a single line vertical or think of only a vertical and, and your geography less. Um, but I would say whenever you're starting something, really try to you know start with one of those as, as a filter, as a, as a point of focus, and then you can add a second and a third. But if you try to do, again, be everything to everyone, like, oh, yeah, we service all verticals in all geos. You know, and we provide all services. Again, you're back to this vanilla, and you're not differentiating yourself against competitors at this point. Um, and and you get lost. You get lost in the sauce. You start chasing chasing money, you know, ch chasing money for bills as opposed to like you know making an impact in, in in you know closing that gap from from demand to supply. And so, sure, you obviously know a lot about websites and development <laughs> and website architecture. How can our listeners find you? Where should they go? Great. Um, I think when you think about, so I'm I'm in the mode right now of uh, after 20 years in business, you know we've learned a lot. I still have a lot more to learn, but it's this pay it forward model. So I'm I'm generating a lot of thought leadership. I'm telling people our stories um, so that they can learn as well. And in that sort of again that pay it forward model. So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I would love more followers. I'd love for you to check out uh, my LinkedIn uh, is Jared Lopiccolo. It's J A R R O D L O P I C C O L O. Um, you know, follow me there, direct message me. I'm, I love having conversations with anyone and everyone. Uh, as long as it's a conversation, I, it's tough when you get on a call and it's masked and then it's a sale and then you feel obligated. And so, you know, hold the sale for like the third conversation. Let's just talk. Um, you could also go to our website, 
at noblestudios.com. That's N-O-B-L-E-S-T-U-D-I-O-S.com. Um, take a look at our case studies, you know, read some of the thought leadership that we're putting out there. We're really passionate about, again, creating meaningful connections, you know, um, create providing relevant experiences for our clients and, and their customers. Um, but take a look at the st stuff we're doing. We're winning some great awards right now. We're feeling really confident um, going into 2024. Uh, so any and all interactions and, and connections, I, I welcome. And, and yeah, this has been a really great day. So I, I really appreciate it, Stacey. So as we lead out of this, yeah, if you had to give one big piece of advice mm. as a parting gift to our listeners, what would it be? You, I, so it's funny. I, I'm going to move away from marketing and I'm going to say just being an entrepreneur, uh, and I mentioned this, this idea of pay it forward, you know, I would always, I always tell people that if you, um, if you ask for money, you're often going to get advice, right? And, and, and that's not what people want. But if you ask for advice, you'll oftentimes find money in the sense of opportunities. And so I just lead my life with curiosity, um, you know, with this notion that, you know, I can learn something from anyone that any person I know carries wisdom. So, so my, my advice would be go out there and seek advice, right. And, and be vulnerable. And the, and by being vulnerable, you, you create humility and you, you, you experience life a little bit richer. Um, and you'll find that opportunities present themselves when you come in with that sort of humble attitude. So, so seek advice and you'll oftentimes find opportunities. Well, Jared, thank you very much for joining today. I think you have certainly found a lot of opportunities. I love the fact that you've combined a lot of your passions of photography and travel into a business that you can profit and explore from. Congratulations on all of your successes. Well, thank you for having me. I feel truly blessed and thankful. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to getting into next year and all the different stuff we can do. And so love to come back again, if ever you wanted to talk about other topics and otherwise it was a real pleasure and, and really thank you for letting me share some of our stories. Of course. And to all of our listeners today on Marking Mistakes and How to Avoid Them, thank you for tuning in to another episode. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. And until then, if by any chance, outside of websites, and or maybe you have a website and you're like, oh, I'd love to have really cool content to put on this website. You can reach out to my agency, Hollywood Branded. We do product placements, celebrity endorsements, influencer marketing, and we can help you out. So until then, have a great one.